listening to audio from Faith Church, located on the north side of Indianapolis. If you'd like to check out more information about our church and ministry, please visit faithchurchindy.com. And now please stand with me as we read our scripture for today. We're reading the word of the Lord as written in the Gospel of Matthew, chapter 5, verses 13 to 16. You are the salt of the earth, but if salt has lost its taste, how shall the saltiness be restored? It is no longer good for anything except to be thrown out and trampled under people's feet. You are the light of the world. A city set on a hill cannot be hidden, nor do people light a lamp and put it under a basket, but on a stand, and it gives light to all in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before others so that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father who is in heaven. This is the word of the Lord. A number of years ago, uh, my older son Ben and I went caving with his Boy Scout troop. Uh, we drove over to southern Illinois and uh, to kind of a nondescript parking area and climbed down a ladder to a hole in the ground that was pitch black darker than this room or what we could make it. Uh, You guys out in the overflow are doing okay. We kind of decided we didn't want to have you staring at black construction paper uh, while I'm doing this, setting the scene here. Uh, We live in a world that we don't really experience darkness like that very much. We have lights and lamps and screens that we can control, but darkness was common in Jesus' day and to his listeners. And there's something about being in the dark that's unnerving. It's a little stressful. We, we want to know when are the lights going to come back on because you can't see anything. You don't know what's going on. You don't know what to expect. You, know, you may wonder, what was that noise? What just touched me? And Ben and I climbed down into this cave and... When we got down in the cave, we were really thankful for our headlamps. That's much better, isn't it? You can can almost kind of feel the the stress go away a little bit because now you can at least see something. You, You have some perspective. It's so good when you finally see the light, right? Because it takes away the anxiety and it grabs your attention in the dark. And man, we appreciated those headlamps down in that cave, right? Uh, With light, we could make sense of things. We could see where we were. We could see what we needed to avoid. We, We could find our way around. And it wasn't just for our group. Everyone in the cave could benefit when we had our lights on because it was a big cave. And our individual lights didn't do that much. But but when all those lights were shining together, we could see what was going on and where we needed to go and where we were heading, and everyone benefited. Even people who weren't in our group could see because of us. That is kind of a picture of what Jesus is talking about in this passage in Matthew chapter 5 today. And uh, we can bring the house lights back up. Ah, thank you. Wow, that's so much better, isn't it? It makes a difference. We're going through what we call the Sermon on the Mount in Matthew's Gospel. And today we're in Matthew chapter 5. Now, the setting for this, really, the the Gospel of Matthew is 
Matthew wanting us to see and understand that Jesus is the fulfillment of everything that God has promised. Everything that God has promised to do to rescue lost people, to reconcile us to himself, and to undo all of the mess and darkness and brokenness that our rebellion, our separation from God has brought into this world. And last week, Pastor Joy pointed out in this section we call the Beatitudes, how Jesus' kingdom is reorienting our perspective on what the good life is and what it means to be blessed. And in fact, to have Jesus is the blessing, whatever else is going on in our lives. And in this passage today, Jesus says now that his kingdom is actually being lived out and lived through those people who are aligning themselves with his kingdom values. Another way we could put it is this, that God's family displays his goodness to the world. God's family displays his goodness to the world. And if that didn't uh, jump out at you right away from the passage, that's what we're going to explore together this morning, that the expression of God's goodness, the impact of our lives, and the importance of God's family. Uh, We're in Matthew chapter 5, starting in verse 13. If you're in one of the black Bibles in the seat in front of you, that's page 962, or turn to whatever you use to look up God's Word. First, we want to look at the expression of, of God's goodness in this passage. And Matthew uses a couple of main images to communicate that. First, he says, you are the salt of the earth. Now, that's even kind of an old expression that's carried over into English, but one we don't hear much anymore. It it does communicate something, though. And thinking back to the world Jesus lived in, salt did a couple of important things. It was just like in our day, is seasoning for food. Salt draws out the flavors. It it, it heightens the experience and the appreciation of uh, what we're eating, what we're tasting. If if there's no salt, if there's no flavoring, the food is dull and bland and tasteless. And salt was, of course, used as a preservative. Uh, In days before there was refrigeration, the way that you preserved meat was by rubbing salt into it because salt has kind of a mild antibacterial property and it draws some of the moisture out that slows down the decay. And then, of course, salt makes us thirsty. It, It makes us long for water. It makes us long for refreshment and satisfaction. And Jesus is recognizing In this imagery, what we all know and experience, that this world is decaying. There's something wrong. There's something wrong with us. There's something wrong with the world that we live in. It smells a little off. Like To to play off this image that Jesus uses. I mean, if, if you've ever gone in the refrigerator and opened up the deli drawer and found that package that got hidden back there, a couple of months ago, and it's got this kind of slimy ooze. I know, it's unpleasant, right? That's what Jesus is talking about. It smells a little funky. Something has gone wrong. It's unsatisfying. And no matter how much good we get out of this world, it still leaves us longing for more. And the second image Jesus uses is one of light. And light obviously illuminates. It, it helps us see. It demonstrates what's there. It directs us. It, 
It can guide us in the way to go. It, light reveals things. And, and it's a common image in the Bible and even in culture just for wisdom, for truth, for guidance. To walk in the dark is to wander around aimlessly, to, to possibly bring harm on ourselves, to, to be foolish. But to walk in the light is to have direction and purpose and, and a goal in mind. And, and Jesus expands this metaphor and, and goes on in verse 14 saying, You are the light of the world. A city set on a hill cannot be hidden. Now, again, maybe you've experienced this driving around oh, in, the, in the plains or in the western part of the country or maybe central Indiana where it's pretty flat. And off in the distance, there's a city, and it, it, maybe it's only even 10 feet higher in elevation. But if it's a dark night and there's not much else light around, you can see that for miles and miles away. And Jesus is saying, at nighttime, a city on a hill gives light to people far away. And, and there's something attractive about it. Haven't you ever been there driving alone late at night and seeing a, a city off in the distance? It, it, it's inviting. It's welcoming you. It, it gives this feeling of warmth and safety and invitation. You see what Jesus is getting at here with, with these images. See, he wants us to see God knows what we need. He knows what's gone wrong with us and the world, and he longs. He longs to give us the light that will guide us and, and to provide the, the, the salt that will preserve from decay and, and season life the way it's supposed to be. You have a heavenly Father, Jesus is saying, who cares about His creatures and cares about His creation. And He doesn't want you to live in a rotten, decaying, unsatisfying, broken, confusing world. That's a good father to have. Jesus is saying that's the, the goodness of the father here. And Jesus is announcing the good news that God has done something. In fact, God has done everything now in Jesus to rescue us, to guide us, to, to save us, to set us apart, to bring us into life that is good and satisfying and to, and to turn us and to turn this world into what it is meant to be. And amazingly, Jesus says that blessing, that goodness, that seasoning, that, that preservation, that light is experienced through God's people in the world. That's, that's mind-blowing. Right? All that goodness from God is reflected through his people. Jesus wants us to see not just the, the expression of God's goodness, but the, the impact of our lives. Jesus says, I am the light of the world, but then he says, you are the light of the world. Jesus says, I am the life of the world, but as you go out as my people, you are actually preserving the life of the world, and bringing people into life. God's family displays his goodness to the world. You are the salt of the earth. You are the light of the world, Jesus says. 
If you think back to the beginning of this story of where we've come from and, and why the world is the way it is, God made everything good. In fact, he made it very good. But not very long into the story, we messed everything up. And human beings have made everything dark and ruined and ugly. And yet, as Christ now enters into this world to fix what we have broken, it's now through the people he's rescuing that God's goodness becomes revealed to the world and is lived out and is seen and experienced. We're the salt of the earth, Jesus says. You are the salt of the earth. You are the, the, the seasoning that draws out what is good. The, the preservative that halts the decay and, and the, the uncreation of everything around us. But if the salt becomes tasteless, Jesus says, in verse 13, if it becomes unsalted, literally, or literally if it becomes foolish is the translation, how will it be salted again? How will its saltiness be restored? It's, it's a rhetorical question. Obviously, it, it, it can't happen. What good is flavorless salt, Jesus says? Have you ever gone to make something and, and you pull some spice jar out of your cabinet? Again, maybe it was back in the corner and you open it up and it's just like smelling air. There's nothing there. It's gone bad. It's fit for nothing but to be thrown out, trampled underfoot. Maybe it becomes weed killer. Uh, and light means that there's darkness in the world and we're shining light, providing clarity, giving direction, guiding others. But, but Jesus says again in, in verse 14, a city set on a hill can't be hidden and People don't light a lamp. They don't put on a headlamp and then cover it up so that nobody can see it. What, what good is it? What good is having the light? What good is being the light if nobody can see it? If it's not making a difference in, in your life or in anyone else's light? When I was a kid in, uh, I don't know, probably about second or third grade in the mid-70s, skateboarding really took off as a fad. Um, I don't know if that was everywhere, but it was in central Michigan. In uh, East Lansing, it became really big at Bailey Elementary School. And uh, everyone, all of a sudden, out at uh, recess and at lunchtime was on skateboards. I desperately wanted a skateboard because I, you know, I wanted to do what everyone else was doing, and I, I wanted to try to be cool, even though I couldn't really. And so I begged my parents for a skateboard for a birthday or Christmas or something. Please, please, please. And, and you know, they, they couldn't really afford a skateboard, so, but they managed to find, I think, like the knockoff Myers Thrifty Acres store brand version. It was kind of janky looking, and, and it had steel wheels on it. Like, not even the polyurethane ones, because I guess that was, that was cheaper. Okay, so, so get the picture. Tall, gangly, awkward, clumsy, limbs everywhere, glasses. You know, I had trouble standing up on solid ground, much less a moving piece of wood. And as I'm trying to ride this thing around the playground, the steel wheels are making this sound on the asphalt that's... Even if I had been good at skateboarding, even if I were, you know, athletically inclined, 
Nobody wants that, right? The, the best skateboarder in the world, somebody's going to look at that and say, I have no interest in that, in, in what you are reflecting. And as I thought about that, I, I realized, you know, like nobody was going to look at that and say, wow, that is so cool. I want what you have. But sometimes I can still be like that, right? You remember what Paul says in 1 Corinthians, you know, I can have all the knowledge, I can have all the wisdom, I can fathom mysteries, I can speak in miraculous tongues, I can give away everything I have, but if I don't have love, I'm a noisy gong, a clanging cymbal. I can have all the right doctrine and theology and have great faith to move mountains. But if people don't see in my life something that's actually attractive, if I'm not shining any light that draws people in, if, if I'm not reflecting a, a life that's desirable and good, nobody wants that. We're salt and light. We are, as God's people, we're influencing families and workplaces and schools and society for good, preserving what is good and, and flavoring and enlightening and, and guiding. And, and when salt and light simply do what they're supposed to be doing, it preserves health, it dispels darkness. I mean, it, it's a good reminder, right? Like, I'm, I'm not called to dominate society or to dominate others. I'm not the fire of God, right? Like to burn up, just to burn up all those bad people. I'm not the acid of God to, you know, to like burn people to, to, you know, purge the wrong from others. We're called to serve just as Jesus did because we're reflecting his kingdom. Not through coercion, but sacrifice and witness. And, and there's an attractiveness that comes with that as we're reflecting what Jesus is like. Because he says, people will see your good deeds, your goodness, and give glory to your Father in heaven. God's family reflects his goodness to the world. And, and that's the third thing to see here is the importance of God's family. We're, we're not just doing this as individuals, right? D.A. Carson, in his commentary on this passage, says, It's impossible to follow the norms of the kingdom in a purely private way. Christians are not poor in spirit and mournful over sin and meek and gentle and hungering and thirsting for righteousness and merciful and pure in heart and peacemakers in isolation. It requires a community. It requires other people to actually be and do those things. The kingdom norms lived out in community are a major aspect of Christian witness. Jesus says, as we live out what he is like, these kingdom virtues and values, people will see the good that is reflected of me and you and Glorify your Father in heaven. Glorify not just the Lord, not just God Almighty, not the Holy One of Israel, but glorify your Father in heaven. Oh, I think that's so important. We're not just disciples. We're not just ambassadors. We are family members. We are 
daughters and sons who are loved by a father in heaven who brings us into his family out of his love and and kindness. We are children of the king. God himself is our father if we are connected to him in Jesus. Notice who Jesus is talking here, talking to here as well. Uh, you know, seeing the crowds, it says, he went up and, and when he sat down, his disciples came to him. Now, disciples at this point in the formal sense, there, there's only the four of them that Matthew's introduced us to, this, this group of fishermen, right? Peter and Andrew and James and John. So, so who are all these people? Disciple is someone who's following. There are all these people who are following Jesus. He's been traveling around to towns in Galilee, teaching and proclaiming the gospel of the kingdom, healing diseases, casting out demons, helping those who were afflicted with diseases and pains. And crowds are following him. Oh, I, I love that, right? Because this is... Do you, do you see what Matthew's pointing out here? It's, it's not the super-educated successful. It's, it's not the PhDs. It's not the billionaires. It's, it's not the big-name people. It's anyone who simply wants what Jesus has. And anyone who wants to be a part of God's family is invited to come and see and follow and go and do Oh, that's, that's beautiful. Jesus is talking to people who are poor and needy and struggling and broken and helpless. And he's the one that's going to give them help and hope and life and make them a part of his family. And he tells those people, you are the salt of the earth. You, the, the people that have nothing to commend themselves to the rest of the world, you are the light of the very world that may look down on you and discount you. You are the salt of the earth because they're following Jesus, because they are his people. You see, just in this passage that Pastor Joey took us through last week, Jesus is redefining blessing, and now he's redefining significance and, and community and connection. You know, Amelia and I uh, have four kids, and, and when they were younger, and uh, even up till now, we've never really been able to live that close to any of the kids' grandparents. And, you know, we, we wanted that for our kids. And amazingly, God provided dozens of grandparents in the churches that we've been a part of encouragers and supporters and, and people who take our kids out on special dates and special events and people who poured into our lives and blessed and encouraged us. Mary Ann, Kathy, Joyce, Don, Lois. All right. There are probably people in your life that you may not be related to by blood, but when you think about them, when you remember what they have put into your life and in the lives of people you care about, and there's nothing like that. That's what Jesus is drawing us into and creating as the community of people who are united to him in his grace by faith. You know people that you just want to be around more. 
there's something in them. There's some light. There's some life. There's beauty. There's kindness. There's goodness. There's joy. They're reflecting what Jesus is like and pouring out beauty and grace and encouragement. The church is a family that reflects the character of our Father. And, and as we're shining the light into one another's lives, we're helping each other see, look, it's, it's not that scary. We're walking in the light together. Let me shine some light for you. Let me help you. Let me encourage you. Let me guide you. We're warning one another not to wander off into the darkness and, and trying to preserve what's good and, and stir one another up to love and good deeds. Oh, you don't want to go that way. Don't go that way, brother, sister. Care for one another, bearing one another's burdens, encouraging one another because God's family reflects his goodness to one another and to the world. So what do, what do we do with this? What, what does this look like? As we're trying to think how we live this out. A Christian community that's committed to holiness, to goodness, to chastity, to, to generosity, to peacemaking, to kindness, to, to compassion, that kind of a community is itself salt. That, that preserves and seasons and light that guides and warms and welcomes and illuminates. That's what the church is. That's what you are. That's what we are together. That, that we're lifting up and living out what it means to actually be human in, in opposition to all the wrong and bad and destructive ways to be human. Deep, Strong, committed Christian community is a counterculture witness to the reality of Jesus' kingdom. But we're also called to live out our faith in the, the culture that we find ourselves in, to season our environments with grace and truth, to advocate, to work for, and serve towards a society that reflects more of God's kingdom values. You know, in the, in the Roman world of the early church, Unwanted children were often abandoned. They, they were left out on garbage dumps or, or open places outside of town to die of abandonment. The, the first followers of Jesus were salt and light as they found those children and took them into their homes and invested in them and raised them and loved them and cared for them as their own. And in our day, Christians have tried to be salt and light around some of those very issues by defending the unborn, by, by helping needy and vulnerable women in crisis, unplanned pregnancies, by affirming the worth of children and family, by counseling and caring for people who are hurt and lonely and scared and confused. And crisis pregnancy centers like, like life centers here in India have been vital to, to all kinds of work like that. And, and the reason I bring this up particularly is because many of you are aware, I'm sure, that last, this last week news leaked of a draft Supreme Court ruling that would overturn the Roe v. Wade decision that created a, a federal right to abortion nationally. And, and, and if Roe is overturned, and I pray that it would be, it will be an answer to decades of prayer and advocacy and generosity and support and service for the protection of human life. But if the Supreme Court does overturn Roe, that 
It doesn't solve the problem. That, that creates all kinds of more opportunities and challenges and needs for the church to step into because there's going to be all kinds of things that, that flow out of that. And we're called to respond in humility and gentleness, to be salt and light, to help people in need. And that includes people in the church. A discouragingly high percentage of women having abortions identify as evangelical Christians. Possibly because that same research also reveals that they perceive the church not to be a place of safety and support, but a place where they expect to be judged and shamed and condemned. The church of all places should be a community of grace and help and understanding and healing and forgiveness and love. Oh, I pray that Roe will be overturned. I, I pray that our culture will grow so that nobody wants to seek abortion. Pray for peaceful engagement around contentious issues. Pray for continuing impact of Christians to be salt and light in a host of issues in our culture that affect women and children and unplanned pregnancies and, and men engaging in consequence-free relationships. It's outrageous. Pray that the church would be a safe place for broken and, healing and hurting people to, to bring healing. This is all a reminder that, that we also have to keep asking Jesus to shine his light into our hearts because the salt and the light aren't about themselves, right? You, you don't eat the salt to taste the salt. I mean, you, you use the salt to taste the food and, and you don't turn on the light like to stare at it. Wow, that's a really impressive light, right? No, the, the only reason you have the light is so that it can show something else. That's what salt and light do. We're reflecting who Jesus is. And if we're going to do that, that means we've got to be all the more committed to staying close to him, to, to allowing him to shape us, preserve us from the decay in us so, so that we have seasoning and, and life and light to share with other people. I mean, for example, you ever notice how human relationships are always blowing up and falling apart? I mean, not just on the global stage. I mean, there's the obvious horrible news examples of nations and peoples and ethnicities and all kinds of conflict and war and violence, but it's just ordinary human relationships, right? People are always getting upset, always saying, you know, I'm not getting mine, or you misunderstood me, or they wronged me, and, and we end up getting angry and bitter, and we pull away, and we become resentful, and... For Christians to be salt and light means that we would go into our workplaces, into our schools, into our neighborhoods, into our families, into our friendships, into our connections here, and be the people, for example, who are willing to overlook an offense, to be the people who are least likely to be thin-skinned and, and quick to take anger, the, the ones who don't get irritable easily. We don't go into relationships saying, you know, like, I'm not going to give anything to you unless I get first. We're not always getting upset and angry and shooting off nasty emails and then having to apologize. Are you getting convicted yet? Because I am, and, and I misery loves company, and I want you to feel as bad as I do. Right? This is us. This is Jesus' broken, messed up people that he's constantly restoring and redeeming and, and healing and growing right? 
We're salt. We're, we're the people that are preserving relationships and bringing people together and seasoning them with grace. And it's, it's so easy to be annoyed with people, right? Life would be great if it weren't for all those people. And then I have to remind myself, right, like, every person is made by God and, and I need to respect and love and show grace to them the way that God has done for me. God is patient, slow to anger, abounding in loving kindness for me. And that enables me to, to be that way for other people. Kindness is really undervalued. Especially in this cultural moment. Kindness does not make you look weak to other people. Kindness is the thing that people will remember about you if they don't remember anything you've said. You know, it used to bug me that, uh, you know, nobody could remember any of the sermons that I preached. And one, I realized I don't remember what I preached by Monday afternoon. That's not really the point, right? The, the point is, as people are encountering us, as people are engaging with us, as people are hearing from us, are, do they come away experiencing me or you as a person of grace and kindness and compassion and love and welcome? That's what people will remember. Paul picks up this light imagery in uh, Philippians 2, do all things without grumbling or disputing, that you may be blameless and innocent children of God in the midst of a crooked and twisted generation among whom you shine as lights in the world. You see the connection Paul's making there? Not grumbling and arguing about everything is connected to shining as lights in the world. Man, if there's anything our culture is really good at, it's grumbling and arguing. Right? Go into work tomorrow and st just listen to who's complaining about what the boss is asking them to do or the, the boss complaining about what the workers aren't doing or the teachers and the kids are complaining about each other and the parents and the kids are complaining about each other. And, and man, everyone on social media is an expert on everything, right? I mean, I, I saw this thing that somebody posted, so I'll post it. Now I'm an expert on that thing that I didn't even know existed three minutes ago. And then, of course, I have to double down when somebody challenges me on it and all the disputing and arguing and fighting and, you know, needing to defend ourselves. How rare is it to hear someone say, you know what, maybe I'm wrong about that. Maybe you're right. Especially about people we're primed to mistrust, we don't say that. What if, what if we worked at having fewer people that were primed to mistrust? and we were less eager to grumble and dispute. Guard your hearts against grumbling and disputing because King Jesus is ruling, and we can trust in him, right? That means we need to stay close to Jesus. If I'm going to reflect his light, if, I, if I'm going to be the, the salt, the preservative, the, the life-giving aroma of Jesus in this world, I've got to stay close to him. I remember one time years ago, I don't even remember all the details, but I bought some little glow-in-the-dark thing for one of our kids, and uh, I didn't take it out of the box and, until they opened it up at night, and they opened it up and it wasn't glowing in the dark. This thing doesn't work. Well, why wasn't it working? 
because I hadn't put it in front of the light bulb for an hour to charge it up. There was even a little note, if you want me to shine in the night, keep me in the light. If we're going to shine in the darkness, we've got to stay close to the light. You are the salt of the earth. You are the light of the world because you're with Jesus and he's the light and he's the life. We're not called to save the world. We are called to make a difference. We're called to reflect what Jesus is like. That's what we do. That's who we are. We're salt. We're light. You are the salt of the earth. You are the light of the world. Let Jesus shine through your life because God's family reflects his goodness to the world. Let's pray. Father, thank you that uh, Jesus has come to fulfill everything that you have promised to do to restore us, to reconcile us, to to redeem everything that's gone wrong. And Father, grab our hearts again with amazement that we would, that we as your people are actually the light of this world, that we are the salt of the earth, we're the ones dispensing the aroma of your grace and preventing decay. Oh God, may that be true of us more and more. Help us not to be products of our culture, our environment. Make us lights to our culture and our environment to show your grace, your mercy, your beauty, your truth. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.